0: All right, good afternoon, everybody. All right, we just want to welcome um, all the uh, exchange students uh, that came through Emmaus Campus Ministry today. Our church has a campus ministry called Emmaus. And we have a group of about eight students that uh, came out to church today. So uh, be sure to say hi when you meet them. And, uh, you know, college students, you know, if you interact with them, you know, it's like a fountain of youth. You know, I did campus ministry for seven years. And I still feel like, you know, I'm, I'm 20 years old. <coughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> but I'll be sure to say hi, welcome them, and, uh, you know, allow them to have probably various questions about Korean, church, uh, Korean culture, about getting a cell phone, whatever. You know, just show them around. Uh, be willing to serve, and uh, we're going to do our, also our big sibling program. So those who are interested in uh, uh, really just taking care of one of these college students, putting them under your wing, uh, please sign up, and we'd love to have you serve in that way. All right, today's uh, word comes from Matthew chapter 15. Let's go ahead and open that up and keep it open. I'm going to be studying the various aspects of this text. Matthew 15. Alright, let's go. In this passage we have a Canaanite woman whose daughter was severely oppressed by a demon. Now the term Canaanite is mentioned many times in the Old Testament but this is the only place that is mentioned in the New Testament. And so in New Testament times there was no country known as Canaan. Alright, so it's probably a Jewish term that they used to refer to the people of this area. Now, the Gospel of Mark describes her as a Gentile. And so, it's just accurate to say she was a Gentile. She was a heathen. She was a non-Jew, as the Jews would see her. Good morning. Hallelujah. (laughs) (laughs) Now, this Canaanite, this Gentile woman, she comes to Jesus and she is desperate. She can call on her own pagan gods, but she hears about Jesus' ministry and she calls on Him instead. And she says, Have mercy on me, O Lord, Son of David. Which is a messianic term. So I'm sure she's hearing the reports about Jesus' claim to a Messiahship. And she says, Have mercy on me, O Lord, Son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. And now, nice, sweet Jesus, how does he answer her? Look at verse 23. Verse 23 says, He did not answer her a word. In other words, Jesus straight up ignored her. Everyone say, ooh. Ooh. The text doesn't say she just went up and said, uh, have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My, My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. Now the Bible says that she is crying out. The text says she was crying, have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. It's not like he didn't hear her. It's not like he didn't see her desperate situation. He just chooses straight up to ignore her. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever been ignored? Yeah. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> now, when you get ignored, how does it make you feel? Does it, some people say it makes you feel sad. If, you have, you know, if you're really down, you have low self-esteem, it'll probably make you more sad than anything. If you have high self-esteem, it'll probably make you feel... Mad Angry. And if it's someone that you love, you feel hurt. Now getting ignored as a summary, it will make all of us, it feels it makes us feel offended, doesn't it? Hey, 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 um Rachel Highland, hey Rachel, where are we going for dinner? And you said it like nice and loud. And and Rachel's like Hey, are you a newcomer? Nice to meet you. <laughs> <coughs> hey, Rachel, where are we going for dinner? <sighs> uh, yeah, what's your name? Where are you from? L.A.? Yeah. Okay. Now, Rachel is not the type to do that. But if she did do that, and you knew clearly that she heard you, and she's straight up ignoring you, you will feel quite offended. You would think, "How dare you?" You know, no matter who you are, you will think, "How dare you?" You know, sometimes uh, in our marriage, Erin, she straight up ignores me (laughs) for entertainment purposes. She just does it to tease me. She just does it to to just get a good laugh. And it drives me crazy. And she she just likes to see me (laughs) reacting. (coughs) Anyway, (coughs) excuse me. Have you ever felt ignored by God? You're in a desperate situation and you cry out to the Lord and He seems to just straight up ignore you. Have you ever felt that before? You know, many of us, we've all experienced this from time to time where it just feels like heaven's doors are shut up. And nobody is listening. There's no voicemail where you can leave a message. You're just crying out to the Lord and you just feel straight up ignored. If getting ignored by a friend makes us feel offended, getting ignored by God can probably evoke the same emotions. Even though it's God. Nobody likes to get ignored some of us may begin to question God's righteousness or to doubt our identity or begin to believe that God doesn't care. Now, where we may be tempted to think this way and feel offended, I want to exhort each of you today to persist in calling on the Lord. When he doesn't hear you the first time, you call on him a second time. I'm telling you, this woman here, she probably called on Jesus many times. It wasn't just once she said this. She probably said this over and over again. If you feel ignored by God, the answer is not to start questioning his righteousness or doubting your identity or feeling like God just doesn't care about you anymore. What does the word of God say? Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Even though your experience tells you, oh, it seems like God doesn't care. He's just ignoring me. You come in agreement with the word of God. He loves you. He's looking out for you. He's working all things out for your good. And you persist in prayer and you wait upon him. You know, we live in an attention deficit generation. And all of us, we... You know, whenever, you know, you know, I love tab browsers. It's awesome. You know, when they invented these tabs, I think Safari did it first. You know, good old Apple always innovating the way. But yeah, most of the, most, you know, most of the browsers now, Firefox and Chrome, you know, they all have tab browsing. If <coughs> you ever looked at my browser, <coughs> on average, you see like seven tabs open. You know, because while I'm waiting for another page to open, I go to, to, to Facebook. While I'm waiting for Facebook's photos to upload or, or to uh, download, I'm, I'm going to open up Amazon. You know, I just got like a whole bunch of tabs open. We, you know, we, we have this attention deficit generation. And actually, I'm not very good at multitasking. You know, like I can't watch TV and email and try to update my Facebook status at the same time. I can't do all that. I know a lot of you in here can. And I know a lot of you in here do. Because sometimes you leave most ridiculous comments. Like, you know, people update their status with something really serious and somber. And then you ask them some really silly question. You know, you ever say? anyway. anyway. <clears throat> we need to learn, as the people of God in this generation, we need to learn how to wait on the Lord. The Word of God says, Psalm 37, verse 7. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Do not fret when men succeed in their ways when they carry out their wicked schemes. You know what makes it really hard to wait on the Lord? Is when evil men all around you seem like they're just succeeding. Well, The Bible says, don't fret. You continue to wait. Psalm 40 verse 1. I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. Hallelujah. Don't give up. Persist, wait, and continue to call on the Lord. He will turn to you and He will hear your cry. Isaiah chapter 30 verse 18. Yet the Lord longs to be gracious to you. You hear that? God longs to be gracious to you. He rises to show you compassion. For the Lord is a God of justice... Blessed are all who wait for Him. Hallelujah. I mean, that passage, that's that's a good verse to memorize. That's got everything in there. He longs to be gracious to you. He rises to show you compassion. He's a God of justice. Blessed are all who wait for Him. Hallelujah. Even when you feel ignored and you're tempted to get offended, I want to encourage you, continue calling on the Lord. For He will surely hear your cry. Because He longs to be gracious to you. He rises to show you compassion. He is a God of justice. Blessed are all who wait for Him. Amen? Amen. It's a good word. Hallelujah. Now let's go back to our original passage. Look at Matthew 15 verse 23. This woman keeps crying out. (coughs) So His disciples came and begged Him, saying, Jesus, send her away for she is crying out after us. In other words, this lady is getting really obnoxious. Okay. And Jesus answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Now we got to understand here that Jesus is not saying that his death and resurrection are only for the Jews. That's not what he's saying. We know later in the book of Acts how God inspires the apostles to take the good news to the Gentiles. So we know this death and resurrection is for everyone. The design of Christ's atoning work on the cross is for both Jews and Gentiles. But what Jesus is saying is that his public ministry on earth, which lasted all about three years, his public ministry on earth was targeted specifically to the Jews. I turned down the mic a little bit. And at this point in God's unfolding plan, in his three years of healing, preaching, miracles, teaching, and casting out demons, Jesus is saying these three years are to be exclusively for the Jews. Now, there's nothing wrong with this. This is simply God's choice and election to do things this way. In fact, if you think this is, this is, uh, this is troubling, you got to remember, God's been doing this from way past since Abraham's time. God chose the Jews. He's been working with the Jews. And Jesus is like, look, these three years of my public ministry, look, this is only for the Jews. I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And so Jesus turns to His disciples and He says this and He makes it clear to them, hey, we're supposed to just target the Jews. Hey, we're supposed to just go to our own kind. And while he is explaining this, the woman forces her way through. Look at Matthew 15, verse 25. While Jesus is saying, Hey, I'm only sent to the, to the, to the lost sheep of, of the house of Israel. She comes and kneels before him, saying, Lord, help me. Now, this woman is Desperate. I mean, if you, you, I mean, me and my wife were watching, there's a jacked up Korean TV show called The The Exorcist. Don't don't ever watch it, alright? If you're not strong in your faith, it's gonna freak you out. I just just completely piqued everyone's interest. No, don't go watch it, (coughs) because it's not a Christian exorcist, alright? It's a a mudang. It's like these uh, shamanistic priests, and they come. Oh, man, it's so jacked up, man. This, this guy's got this bell, and he's like, sh- 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 like, like shaking the bell all around the uh, demonized woman. And of course, I mean, if I wasn't demonized, I would still be like, yeah, hey, get your bell off of me! <laughs> all right, he's like, and he's like trying to, to help this, help this uh, lady. <clears throat> but before they showed the exorcism, uh, they showed the husband interacting with the wife on a typical week. And so the, the wife is like, I love you, honey And then, boom! Hits him in the face. Next thing you know, he's like grabbing her and wrestling with her, and she's like punching him and scratching him, and they're on the floor. And then she calms down, and he's like, and she's like, "Where are the children?" (laughs) 자기야, 사랑해. Boom! Hits him again, and and just every day, it's just torture. But she was in her right mind enough to be able to take care of the children, cook for everybody. But in the evening, she would just freak out and just get on full demon possession. It's crazy. Now imagine if you're living with that and it's your daughter. Your poor little daughter. You got to deal with that every day. It's breaking your heart. This woman comes to Jesus and she's interrupting their conversation because she's desperate. Lord, help me. And Jesus answered, good Jesus, the the loving Jesus, He says, verse 26. It is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Somebody say, oh snap. snap. See, I don't think you are reading the passage here. All right, because if you really know the implications of what Jesus just said, it's very offensive. Okay, (laughs) I don't know if you caught it, but what Jesus just said was not politically correct. He just called this woman and the people she represents, he called them dogs. Now some critics point out this passage and critics, they point out the passage and they accuse Jesus of being racist. That's how offensive this term is, right? Others try to (coughs) defend Jesus (coughs) by trying to say that he was using the the term dog affectionately. you know I I gotta say man the ESV study bible has been a big disappointment I'm sorry okay I'm not saying I'm smarter than these commentators but the ESV study bible has got some dumb commentary on this verse alright straight up alright I don't want to be offensive here alright I think it's pretty dumb this is what they wrote right page 1853 Jews frequently insulted Gentiles by calling them dogs which in ancient Palestine they were wild homeless scavengers But the form that Jesus uses here, the Greek, kainerion, means little dog. (laughs) And it suggests a more affectionate term for domestic pets. Jesus is not insulting the woman, but just testing her faith. Okay. right. please eat the meat and throw out the bones. Alright, when you are reading commentaries and reading NIV and ASV study Bibles. look. Check this out. When you call someone of another race... Not just somebody that you know. We're talking about somebody you don't know of another race. When you call them either a wild dog or a domestic dog, (laughs) I don't think it really matters. In any culture, in any point in history, getting called a dog across racial lines is offensive to the highest degree. Can someone say amen? amen? We still use it today. To insult each other. Now I I, I know bro, I know brothers, <coughs> I know brothers in the hood. You know they they call each other dog. Yeah, what's up, dog? And it is an affectionate term, okay? But we're not talking about like gang members. We're not talking about urban people. We're not talking about ebonics. We're not talking about. We're talking about across racial barriers. Jesus is calling her and her whole people dogs. It's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Now what I'm trying to get at is, I don't think Jesus is trying to be cute with this lady. If you think about the context, she's asking Jesus to set her free from demonic possession. And in response to her request, Jesus says something that would clearly offend her. Now, Jesus, maybe you were really tired that day, but come on. (laughs) Let's be a little bit more sensitive. She's asking for her daughter who is demon possessed. She's asking for your help. It's not the best time to be using racial slurs. To be using terms dog, whether it's affection or not. This lady's been suffering. Don't make it worse by insulting her. Just tell her, hey, I'm sorry, but my ministry is targeted toward Jews only. Just say something like that. Why do you have to get all ghetto and call her a dog? I mean, Jesus was ghetto, by the way. He's a Galilean. He was a ghetto Galilean. He was a carpenter. He had muscles. I'm sorry, all those Jesus films, they need to get somebody more muscular. None of those Jesus films has a carpenter in there. I remember one time when I was 12, 13 years old I saw uh, a particular Jesus music video of the crucifixion and this guy he didn't have long like wavy hair he had like nappy like uh, like, uh that's like Jews have this kind of hair sometimes they, they, um, it's like really tight and round and it looks like an afro and I was like that's not Jesus man they couldn't get a right actor and then the guy was jacked as well and I was like that's not Jesus and I read the bible that's Jesus he was a Galilean Jew. He had like Afro kinda of hair. And I'm I'm jacking up your image of Jesus, I'm sorry. He probably had alright, he's a Galilean he probably had like Afro kind of little culture kind of hair. And he was jacked. He was jacked. He's probably got some muscle. I mean, how do you think he survived all that whipping in the cross? Yeah, he had he had, a, he had muscle. <coughs> now um so why is Jesus being so offensive here? Um, <coughs> now, I want to ask a question before we proceed. What do you think Jesus means here by children's bread? It's not right to talk, take the children's bread and toss it to, throw it to the dogs. Okay? What does it mean by children's bread? Uh, the NIV study Bible thinks it represents God's covenanted and blessings. The ESV study Bible thinks it represents Jesus' message. I'm not saying I'm smarter than these Bible commentators. But I'm just saying I don't agree with those answers. I think it's much more obvious than that. Okay, what did Jesus do the most of during his public ministry? Healing. Healing, Healing, right? And oftentimes it was connected with deliverance. What was this woman asking for? She's asking for healing for her daughter. Healing and deliverance for her daughter. So I believe the children's bread symbolizes the healing power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus is saying it's not right to take children's bread. It's not right to take the healing power of the Holy Spirit and toss it to the dogs. <clears throat> now, I believe Jesus was withholding this healing from the Gentile woman because that wasn't his focus during his public ministry. I mean, he had an assignment. He was sent by the Father and the Father said, during your three years, I'm sending you particularly to the jews so what did jesus do all right the vast majority of the time with very few exceptions he ministered only to jews okay so i believe jesus is purposely withholding from this gentile woman uh, this children's bread so okay it's fine that jesus withholds his healing ministry because it wasn't time yet because god has mercy on whom he has mercy he has compassion on whom he has compassion But my my question is, why does Jesus go further and insult her by calling her a dog? That's unnecessary roughness. (laughs) It's already rough enough getting denied. Why go further and insult her? Now, I believe that Jesus called this woman and her people, dogs, purposefully. It wasn't slip up, oops, oh, shouldn't have said that. Alright? I think he did it purposefully. Why? Because this is what God does. I want everyone to wake up today. Our God is a God who offends the mind. What are you looking at? God does not cause headaches. God offends the mind. You may have never heard this message before. But I'm telling you today, God is offensive. God offends the mind. This is what He does. Why why does God offend the mind? What's the purpose in doing it? Is God offending the mind simply to get a response? Hey, let me offend her. Let me see what she does. Does God offend the mind just for the sake of being offensive? I, mean, I remember growing up in Philly and hanging out with friends that used to be offensive just for the sake of it. That was their whole like, that was their whole presentation. That was what they did. They would just be offensive for the, they got a kick out of it. Or if you observe our brother Diddy in the back, the funniest man at our church you would know that his New York brand of humor involves intentionally offending you. (coughs) He (coughs) He intentionally offends you in a witty way to get you to laugh. And you know what? Great comedians, they know how to do this. That's why Dave Chappelle's show was so popular. It was a highly offensive show, but everyone watched it in secret. Because with that, he, he knew how to make people laugh. Was, this is what Diddy did. Does. Diddy offends the mind to reveal your humor. Now, but why does God offend the mind? Was Jesus calling her a dog in front of everyone just to get a laugh? Was Jesus just being offensive for the sake of? Now, I believe there are several reasons why God offends the mind. And today I'm going to present to you three. Number one, God offends the mind to reveal the heart. (coughs) In the case of this Gentile woman, when Jesus offended her, her response wasn't, I can't believe you just call me a dog. (laughs) You Jews are all the same. Who do you think you are? And then walk away. She didn't respond that way. All right, that would have revealed that the woman was just trying out Jesus. It would have revealed that she wasn't fully convinced that he was her only hope. No, how does the woman respond? Verse 27. Look at how she responds. Yes, Lord. It's not right to take the chosen bread and toss it to the dogs. What well, yes, Lord... Yet, even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. This woman has got to be like the wittiest woman in the Bible. <laughs> this is an incredible response. <clears throat> now, think of it this way. Hypothetically, if Jesus simply said, All right, all right, all right, nagging me, all right, look, I'll heal your daughter here. Your daughter's healed. Go. Right, if Jesus did that, then Jesus, his disciples, you, me, and even the gentle woman, Gentile woman here, we would have never gotten to see this incredible faith, this desperate hope, this unrelenting love that she has for her daughter. It would have never come to the surface. She would have just gotten healed and we would have just thought, okay, well, another healing. It was all there in her heart, but it took Jesus offending her to bring it to the surface. God offends the mind to reveal the heart. Once her heart was revealed, Jesus immediately commends her and proclaims that her daughter is healed. And instantly her daughter was healed. (coughs) Brothers and sisters, God offends the mind to reveal the heart. You know, there's another story of another man in the Gospels, the rich young ruler. He comes up to Jesus, and he's, got, he's just saying everything that you're supposed to say. I'll follow you, Jesus. I'll go with you wherever you go. And Jesus is like, alright, well, say everything you have, give it to the poor, and then follow me. And you have riches in heaven. Now this was not some standard that Jesus made every one of his followers follow. So you gotta think, why did Jesus say that? Well, Jesus, knowing that this gentleman had a lot of riches, all right. He said that to intentionally offend this guy. He's saying, Everything you have, everything that you stand for, everything you identify with, I want you to get rid of it. And then follow me. Everything you got means is meaningless. Follow me. And the Bible says that when the man heard this, he turned around and he walked the other way. Jesus offended his mind and revealed the true nature of his heart. Vastly different than this Gentile woman, this young rich ruler. He had real he had no real interest in following after Jesus. God offends the mind to reveal the heart. John the Baptist. Matthew chapter 3, verse 4. The Bible says, John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist and his food was locusts and wild honey. And what I'm telling you today is 2,000 years ago, this was not on the typical menu. And this was not typical fashion. (coughs) This guy, John... He's living out in the wilderness, wearing all kinds of weird-looking clothes, eating all kinds of weird-looking insects. And God puts the message to prepare the way for Jesus, He puts it in this offensive vessel called John the Baptist. So the Bible says that all these people were coming to Him. But in Luke chapter 3 It says that particularly It was the tax collectors And the soldiers Who were prone toward exportation They were the one uh, Toward extortion The soldiers and tax collectors That were coming and getting baptized By John the Baptist And receiving the message of repentance But the people The Jewish uh, religious leaders They would just watch they will come, but they will get. They will just watch. They will not get baptized. See, were these Jewish leaders, were they willing to look past the camels here? Were they willing to look past the locusts, the honey, and to see a man chosen by God to carry the message of repentance? Did they really want God as badly as they say they did? Or were they more concerned about other things? God offends the mind to reveal the heart. <clears throat> when God offends the mind, He is exposing the answer to a very important question. What's more important to you? What's more important to you? Are you truly seeking after me with all your heart? Or are there other things that are more valuable to you? What's more important to you? You know... Um, God will often place his anointing within a vessel that is wrapped up in an offensive package. Let me talk about some of these offensive people today. And if you are offended, I'm sorry. (laughs) But I'm going to go over it now. Offensive people. Point case number one, Joel Stockstill. If you don't know who he is, he's a pastor down in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. He's a white guy. When I first heard him, I thought he was a fat black guy. Because he had this deep voice and he talks really, really ghetto. Okay? And I saw a video of him and he's a skinny, like bunched up white guy. Alright? Joel Stockso, if you ever hear him preach, he is highly offensive. He says everything that you can imagine that's politically incorrect. And if you kind of notice him, he almost, it's like his, his thing, he goes for it. He just tries to shock you. He tries to offend you. But one thing I learned about Joel Stockstill is even though I will get offended, the closer I will look at what he's doing in his ministry, the more I was blessed by the anointing that he's carrying. Joel Stockstill has got a powerful anointing. But I bet you a vast majority of American Christians will never listen to this guy because they hear 10 minutes of his message and they turn it off. Because he's offensive. But I'll tell you right now, this man's got an anointing from God. Let me uh, introduce to you someone that everyone's familiar with. <coughs> Joel Olstein. Everyone smile. Yeah, Joel Olstein. I know that guy. I know that smiley face. Okay, How many people in here, you're offended by Joel Olstein? Just, just be honest. Just raise your hand. You're offended by him. You look at his uh, book cover and you're like, man, that's an offensive book cover. <laughs> Why do you put your face on every one of your books? He's offensive. In a lot of ways, he's very offensive. I mean, he's offensive by being overly, like, nice. Overly happy. You know, he's like the uh, guy in The Simpsons. Uh, What's the neighbor guy? Ned Flanders. Joel Joel Osteen's like Ned Flanders. On steroids. (coughs) Now... I know there's a lot of controversy around him. A lot of people get offended by him because Joel Osteen didn't get a seminary degree. So Joel Osteen doesn't say all the right things. Joel Osteen avoids and dodges questions because he has a wider influence and he doesn't want to affect that wider influence. He is reaching people, by the way. He's the most watched Christian television show in the world. He has the biggest church in America, over 45,000 right now. And if you, if you go to his website, uh, Lakewood, I think it's lakewood.cc, if you ever go to his website, they actually televise uh, and they stream the videos of their services. And if you watch his services uh, and not his TV show, you would be like, is this the same church? I mean, they have an amazing church. They have amazing worship time. They have prayer time that looks a lot like what we do here. They spend time, like 10, 15 minutes, they pray for various topics. They pray for their local missionaries that they, that they sent out. All right? They have a vibrant church community there. And, and if you know the history of Lakewood, Lakewood is a charismatic church. All right Joel Osteen's father used to be a Baptist pastor, and then he, he experienced the baptism of the spirit, got complete turnaround, started teaching on healing, and got completely ostracized and rejected by all of his Baptist friends. And they thought he just went crazy. But even though they did that to him, his television ministry grew and his church grew. And in fact, when Joel Olstein took over, the church was already in the house. It was like huge. It was a mega church already. And then when Joel Olstein stepped in, it doubled almost overnight. <coughs> Joel Osteen was highly offensive to me. About three, four years ago. And without really discerning and investigating his ministry, I thought, just by watching it, I thought he was a self help guy. Like a Tony Robbins. I was like, man, that's not the gospel. That's not what the kingdom of God's about. So I rejected him. All right? And then, and then the, the Lord just started to really reveal different things about Joel Osteen. And I started to investigate. And it kind of started with trying to prove that Joe Olstein is jacked up. I started investigating more about his ministry. I started getting blessed by his ministry. I started listening to his messages. I started re- getting the email, the daily devotional. For an entire year, I almost read, I read almost all of them. And I was getting blessed, left and right. He was teaching me things I had never heard. He had a gifting. He has inspiration, gifting, and anointing. He has an encouragement gift. Most pastors, they don't operate from an encouragement gift. So it looks so out of place. But this guy, he's got it. And then I did a small group with Marcus and uh, David Pio. I used Joel Osteen's uh, devotional book to do the small group. For a whole semester, four months, we were incredibly blessed, all three of us. And we were like, man, we are changing our minds about Joel Olstein. But I was this close to missing out on all, that, all those blessings. Why? Because I was offended I was offended But the closer I looked I saw that the anointing was upon this man And the closer I investigated his ministry I saw an incredible history Of moving in the gifts of healing Of contending for the kingdom Let me describe to you another guy John Arnott He's the pastor of Toronto Airport Church in the mid-90s when when this broke out, this revival in Toronto broke out. Highly offensive. Highly offensive. Why? Because (coughs) most of the evangelical church, most of the mainline churches, uh, it had been a while since the charismatic renewal in the 70s. And a lot of the Christians that grew up in these evangelical Baptist Presbyterian churches, they had never seen the manifest presence of God. They had never seen physical manifestations when God's power comes. So when they started hearing about it, everything was suspect. Everything was controversial. And John or not, he's controversial in, in that way, but he was also controversial within the charismatic movement. All right. And so I remember in 1994, being a high school student, and my church, Jeon Dasanim, and I want to honor him because I learned a lot under his ministry. But I remember he came from Toronto. He came from a mega church in Toronto. One of the Korean Presbyterian churches there. The biggest one. He came and he said, I went to Toronto Airport Church. And let me just tell you. It's not God. And I was like, oh, okay. I'm an impressionable high school student. Alright. So I reject everything that Toronto and John or not, that ministry represents. Well, later on, in around 2002, 2003... Through my mentor, Brother Michael, God starts opening up this whole area that I thought it was it was kind of put to rest. And God starts to say, you know, if you're really seeking after the power of the Holy Spirit, you're really seeking after the miraculous power of God. If you want to see my kingdom come with power in your life, I want you to investigate more carefully these movements that you've abandoned. And so since that time, I've started to really investigate what Toronto Airport Church is about. And then I found new things that offended me more. <laughs> like animal noises. I, I, you know what? Up until last fall, I could not get over it. I'm sorry. If somebody in here, if, if it was last year, last year this time, if somebody in here started making animal noises... I will try to cast a demon out of you. All right, I would not—I would not be within my grit to think that that will be God. And you know what? Most of you in here, you're highly offended right now. You're highly offended right now. But let me—let me just encourage you. Get over it. Because if it's God, it's God. You need to get over it. Okay, this is, how I, this is how the Lord led me to get over it. I was at, in October, we went to Baltimore for the Voice of the Apostles Conference. John or was one of the guest speakers. He's the pastor of Toronto. Came down, preached this amazing message on forgiveness and the Father's heart. And it just blessed everybody in the room. We were so blessed. And everyone in the room, Randy Clark, Cheon, Bill Johnson, they kept honoring John or not. And saying, this guy has really kicked open the doors. This guy has bared the stigma of the anointing for many, many years, and he's not quit. and he has always spoke a word of blessing. You know, Toronto Airport Church used to be part of the vineyard denomination. John Wimber, very charismatic guy. But when these animal noises, different stuff manifestations are breaking out, Vineyard Church actually started to slander Toronto. There was all this drama. I', I let me not go into it. Let me honor the people that were involved. Anyway, they ended up breaking off from Vineyard. And you know what John Arnott did through that? He didn't get bitter. He didn't fight back. He simply blessed the Vineyard movement. guess what? Toronto has been going on till today. Very strong. Vineyard's ministry, I'm sorry, has trickled off quite a bit. I'm not saying that that's what caused it. Alright, but I am saying John or not is carrying the anointing to this day with the character, a Christ like character, despite getting slandered. <laughs> now, this is how I got over the old animal noises thing. I was waiting in line at the Voice of the Apostles conference, and this woman comes up to me, and she's like, she starts talking to me, and then she's like, Christian, I see the anointing on you. Can you pray for my daughter? So I'm like, all right, little daughter, she's like seven years old. I'm like, she's like, I want to see angels. <laughs> I'm like, all right, girl. I'll pray for you. Lord, open up her spiritual eyes so she can see the angelic realm, Lord. Yeah. She opens her eyes. and She's like, can you pray again? I'm like, all right, I'll pray for you again. Open her eyes. All right. And we're praying. We're talking. And this woman starts just sharing. And I'm sharing my story. And she shares her story. And then she shares her story about a local church she was involved with (coughs) and how she had been to Toronto. And ever since she went to Toronto that when the anointing comes really strongly, she can't help but crow like a rooster. All right? Just be offended. Just get offended right now, all right? She's telling me this. She crows like a rooster. She's like, I can't help. I start crying like a rooster. I even get into the stance. And I'm like, wow, that is offensive. And she says, yeah, it's very offensive to me. But I've investigated over and over again. And I know and it's distinctly the Holy Spirit. And I've been misunderstood. People have kicked me out of different churches for it. I've been hurt. People have not been Christian toward me in dealing with it. But I just stand by what I see God doing. And she told me the story of one time she was doing um, a children's, uh, she was leading a children's daycare thing. And all these children, they were like hungry for God because she was just praying over them and stuff. And then one day, uh, they, they do like a, a soaking prayer time. All these children, like these six, seven-year-olds are all, all over the floor and just soaking prayer time. And then in the middle of the soaking prayer time, the Lord tells her, crow, crow. And she's like, no, Lord, this is not right. God says, crow, crow like a rooster. Awaken my children to their purposes. And so she, she said the moment she started crying, every child in the room started to manifest and shake all over the room. The power of God just showed up. Kids are speaking in tongues, prophesying, crying. It was just a big riot. All right. Guess what happened? Following me, she was fired. This is a Christian daycare center. Charismatic, by the way fired her. Say, how dare you do that to our children? What you've done is highly offensive. And but she looked at me. She said, Christian, I know what happened. And I know what it looks like. But I also know what I discern. That was God that day. I don't know if you're willing to accept that or not. But I definitely would vouch. I know that there's a lot of flesh going on at Toronto. Some people are probably barking like dogs because they're just having security issues and they're just they have, they're doing it out of the flesh. And maybe some of them are demonic manifestations. But I'll tell you right now, there are also manifestations there of animal noises that God is doing that His Holy Spirit is inspiring. And I heard that and I had to get, o- I had to get over my mind. My mind was like, Never! <laughs> and... <coughs> praise the Lord we haven't dealt with it here like we have, we never had an animal noise manifestation but I just feel like the Lord's like man I'm a, you think I'm here in the box but I'm way outside over here and sometimes I got to offend you right here to get you to see beyond the box that you've made for me I am God I'm more creative than you can ever imagine I'm more gracious than you can ever imagine and I'm more powerful and my purpose and wisdom and counsel are deeper than you could ever imagine I'll tell you another one really highly offensive Ronnie Howard Brown he's the laughter, uh, laughing revival guy he's a big South African dude he's a white South African dude big guy heavy set (laughs) and he he has all his videos available online revival.com okay he goes and and uh, he actually helped make Toronto kind of break out. Like he prayed for Randy Clark. Randy Clark went to Toronto, and then they realized this whole anointing thing was transferable to the laying on of hands. Anyway, Ronnie Howard Brown. He's been doing it for many, many years. He just he just comes and he's an evangelist. So just start preaching. Just really plain face, and all of a sudden, three people here will start breaking out laughing. <laughs> And the, yeah like, and the laughter is never like he, 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 ha, ha. it's like ah, ha, ha. it's like breaking out and if you watch the video always the people who are like sitting next to them they're not laughing they're like what's going on A couple minutes later they're laughing too couple minutes later people are crawling on the floor because their belly is in pain from the laughter like Ronnie Howard Brown, he just walks to the crowd. Hallelujah. <laughs> it's the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Anointing of the Holy Spirit. Young lady over there, stand up, stand up. Fire! And then boom, she'll fall down on the ground. Gentlemen over here, stand to the aisle. Fire! And boom! He doesn't even touch him, it's fall to the ground. When the anointing is real strong in his meetings, that'll happen. And all the whole time, people are laughing. I remember watching this one service in Minnesota. And apparently there was all these evangelical Baptists, Methodists, pastors came to check them out. And they all sit in their three-piece suits in the front. And then their youth group, I think, it sounded like young people, was probably in the balcony area. And then there's these old gentlemen in these three-piece suits. And they're on the ground. They're trying to compose themselves. They look like they're drunk. <laughs> and then Ronnie Howard Brown would just go up to them and say, uh, What's happening to you? These guys guys be like <laughs> and they're fighting it they're trying to compose themselves but the anointing is so strong they look like drunk men and you might be like well God doesn't do that well there's a biblical precedence for the drunk thing In the book of Acts when 120 came out of the room a lot of people that were looking on they said these people are drunk that's the only explanation why they're walking that way why their eyes are that way while they're laughing like like a drunkard. Hallelujah. You know, some people, some of you you like drinking. You like drinking. You know why? Because when you get drunk, when you get buzzed between buzzed and drunk, when you're in that place, you feel freedom. You feel freedom to be yourself. You feel freedom to open up. You feel freedom to laugh. And guess what? It's not the alcohol taste particularly or the alcohol getting drunk and dizzy and throwing up in the morning that you like. It's the feeling of laughter, joy, freedom, being yourself. That's the, that's the part you like. But guess what? I'm telling you, that's a counterfeit of the true experience of that you can enjoy when you're filled with the Spirit of God. Amen. But where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Freedom for you to open up. Freedom for you to be yourself. Freedom for you to enjoy life. And laugh and have joy. Ronnie Howard Brown, one of the most controversial figures in the revival movement. And I remember watching his videos and having to come to a point <coughs> where I had, to, I had to get over it. I had to get over it. And I had to look at his videos again and again and again and just conclude, that's gotta be God. I haven't experienced it myself, I haven't seen it in my meetings. But that's got to be God. Hallelujah. <coughs> why can't God package the anointing in a more presentable package? In a less offensive package? It will, be, it will be appealing to everybody then. Then maybe everybody will receive it. Why doesn't God do that? You know why? Because God knows the hearts of men. You know what? He only wants those who are truly hungry for Him to get it. And those who are more interested in their reputation, those who are more interested in what other people think, those who are interested more in their dignity, the the Lord is the sender and the bender. He'll send the Holy Spirit in one meeting, your neighbor will be crying in their eyes out, and you won't get nothing. Because God sees your heart. If you're hungry for Him, He'll come meet you where you are. If you're criticizing, if you're analyzing, if all you are is stuck on getting being offended in your mind, it'll just go right around you. (coughs) Now, you know, my personal story with tongues is same way, like, I was very offended by tongues. Uh, My first exposure to the gift of tongues, to the prayer language tongues, was in a mission trip with Campus Crusade. In 1998, I went to the country of Kazakhstan, and I, I've told this story many times before, but our sister Roseanne, she was the only person from a full gospel church. Everybody else was from a Presbyterian church. You know, the predictable, neatly packaged, dignified Presbyterians. And then we have one, you know, full gospel person. And I remember we were in the prayer meetings, and she would pray in tongues so loud I couldn't think. <laughs> and I remember I was just, this is offensive. <laughs> this cannot be from God. I just remember thinking, man, she is one sen- sensational person. She is one. Um, she has low self-esteem, and that's why she has to pray loud to make herself feel better, make herself more feel more spiritual. That's probably why she's doing that. That's all the thoughts that went through my head. And you know what? I never moved from that conclusion until about 2002, 2003. And somebody gave me a book by Jack Deere, surprised by the power of the Holy Spirit. Jack Deere used to be a Dallas Theological Seminary professor, got kicked out or res- resigned or whatever he did because he experienced the baptism of the Spirit. And in the book, it just took a very investigative look at the power of the Holy Spirit, at the manifestations, at the, at the, at the, at the gift of tongues and everything. And then I read another book by something Merrill or Cheryl or something. He's a journalist in the 70s. Investigated the whole phenomena of tongues. And uh, I started to realize this tongues thing. is for the people of God. It's to edify the people of God. It's a gift. It's a grace that we get so we can make ourselves spiritually stronger. And if it's a gift that God has given, why am I shelving it? When's the last time you get a gift for your birthday and you go, oh, what a nice gift. Here, let me put it on the bookshelf. That's what a lot of Christians do. They hear about these gifts and then they say, oh, the gifts of tongues? Ah, yeah, maybe that's good for you, but uh, it's not for me. Sorry. You know why? Because when it comes down to it, you're offended by the manifestation of it. That's why you are not wanting to exercise it. That's why you don't want to receive it. That's why you don't want to flow in it. Some of you already have the gift of tongues. You know you have the gift of tongues. You've spoken in tongues before, but you don't exercise it today. Why? Because your mind is in the way. But I'll tell you right now, our God is a God who offends the mind to reveal the heart. Let me ask you a question. What's more important to you? Finding a true move of the Holy Spirit Or protecting your own reputation and dignity? What's more important to you? Finding and honoring an anointed man of God? Or caring about what other people think? What's more important to you? uh, Finding a true revival? Or having all the right answers? Brothers and sisters, our God is a God who offends the mind to reveal the heart. Man, I'm on point number 1. I got still 2 and 3 left. I got to go quickly here. <coughs> I'm going to go through this real quick. I don't want to scare the college students, that's why. I don't want to show them a typical weekly message. I should end it right here, man. We we almost at an hour already, man. I got to I cut this off. I'll do it real quick God offends number 2 God offends the mind to highlight key revelation uh, in John chapter 6 Jesus starts talking about his blood and about his flesh if you have it with you you can turn there John chapter 6 verse 53 I'll go through this really quickly and by the way when, that, when I say that that's really cold word for it. I'm going to go another hour no, I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. All right, stay with me. John chapter 6, verse 53. Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood... Jesus, are you a vampire? What are you talking about? <laughs> you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh, drinks my blood, abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he will also live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. When many of his disciples heard it, verse 60, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? In other words, his disciples are like, Jesus, it sounds like you're promoting cannibalism. (laughs) Can we tone down the rhetoric a little bit? Now, this is more offensive to the Jewish culture. Why? Because in Jewish culture, you were never to eat meat with blood in it. Blood was just something... You just don't do it. In Jewish culture, you were only allowed to eat certain kinds of meat. And one of those kinds of meat you were not allowed to eat was human meat. (laughs) And so in Jewish culture, this, this teaching is highly offensive. Look at verse 61. Jesus, knowing in Himself that His disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, check this out, do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where He was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is of no avail. The words that I've spoken to you are spirit and life. And then go down to verse 66. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the 12, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. (coughs) Peter, Jesus is like, did that offend you? Alright, it's a loaded question, don't you get it? Jesus is like, I meant to offend everybody here. But here is not just to offend to reveal the heart, it's something else. Jesus is offending everyone to reveal key revelation. Because what do we know? In hindsight, what do we know? We What do we know that Jesus is talking about when he's talking about drinking his blood and eating his flesh? Alright? Alright, more than just communion, okay? That's, how, that's what would be a Catholic interpretation of it or Martin Luther's interpretation of it. Okay, that's transubstantiation. Right? This is where the text where they get transubstantiation from. Hey, if you don't know what that means, don't worry about it. What we do know is what Jesus is talking about here. He's talking about the atoning work of the cross. He's talking about his flesh being given to suffering. His blood being spilled to atone for your sin. And Jesus is like, if you don't partake in that, if you don't receive that, then you don't have any part with me. We know in hindsight that's what Jesus is talking about. But to the Jews, this just sounds very offensive. But why does Jesus do this? You know why? It's because when you get offended and you get shocked, you remember it better. I talked to the Lord, this is what He told me. No, I'm just kidding. I don't know if that's the real reason why God does this. But just a practical result is, you remember it better, don't you? You're like, remember when Jesus, he shocked us and he offended everybody? And everybody left, remember? And only the 12 of us, we stayed? And remember Peter was like, oh yeah, yeah, you are the Holy One of God. <laughs> <clears throat> but remember that time? Oh yeah. What was Jesus talking about? He's talking about his body being given for the work of the cross. God offends the mind to highlight key revelation. And Peter responds by saying, Jesus, I don't know what the heck you just said back there. All right, but my mind is clueless. All I know is when I hear your words, something comes alive in me. So you know what? I ain't going anywhere. You have the words of everlasting life. I believe you are the one sent by God. God offends the mind to highlight key revelation. We see this in the book of Acts with Peter and the vision of unclean animals. This blanket comes down and there's pork. There's shrimp. And we're like, whoa, buffet time. For Peter, that was like, no! <laughs> because in Jewish ceremony law, you don't eat those things. And, and the voice of God says, Peter, get up. Kill and eat. Actually, they were not even. It wasn't pork. It was porky, all right? It was a pig, all right? He's seeing all these images of live animals, and, and, the, word, and the word of the Lord is like, rise, kill, and eat. And, and Peter says, never, Lord. I've never eaten anything like that. Huh? Offensive. Is that you, Lord? And God's like, <sighs> yes, it is. Rise, kill, and eat. Peter's like, Never. It's me three times. When God speaks to you about anything three times, He is establishing it. You better not run away. <laughs> All right, and he, He's like, rise, kill, and eat. Now, Peter <coughs> is highly offended. But God offends His mind to reveal a key revelation onto Peter. It has nothing to do with just eating meat. And dietary restrictions. You see Peter's heart up until this time. He was complacent with taking the gospel only to the Jews. He was still very ethnocentric. And he was racist toward Gentiles. And so God was both exposing his heart. And highlighting the key revelation. It is now time for the gospel to go to those who you define as unclean right after he wakes from this vision what happens Cornelius's uh, people come and then they take Peter to Cornelius's house and then while Peter is preaching the gospel to Cornelius and these Gentiles they all start speaking in tongues they all receive the Holy Spirit and Peter is like I did not lead them in a sinner's prayer but they already have the Holy Spirit so I guess that means they already got the gospel and they got the Holy Spirit so I think as Jews we need to stop blocking the gospel from going to the Gentiles God offends the mind to highlight key revelation. And then number three, God offends the mind to harden the heart. Uh (coughs) Uh-oh. Those thinkers in here, this is is really good for you. Matthew 15, verse 1 through 9. Matthew 15, verse 1 through 9. Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do you disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. He answered them, and why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God commanded, honor your mother and father, father and mother. Whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if anyone tells his father or his mother, "What you have gain for me is given to God," he need not honor his father. For the sake of your tradition, you have voided the, the word of God. What did he just say? Okay, never mind that. Look at verse seven. You hypocrites. Jesus needs somebody on his PR team. All right. His website, his YouTube videos. All right. They're not reaching very many people. All right. This is very highly offensive. You hypocrites. Well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Then the disciples, verse 12, (coughs) they came and said to him, Jesus, do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this? Yeah, when you said, you hypocrites! Yeah, just like that, Jesus. When you said that back, did you know that that offended them? And Jesus is like, wow. Thanks for letting me know. I, I really, I wasn't aware of that. I mean, is Jesus clueless to what just happened? Look at, look at Jesus' response. Verse 13 and 14. He answered, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be rooted up. Let them alone. They are blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. In other words, Jesus is saying, I'm fully aware that they were offended back there. I did it on purpose. I did it with passion. In other words, Jesus offends the mind to harden the heart of the unrighteous for judgment. Jesus offends the mind to harden the heart of the unrighteous for judgment. Look at what Jesus says here. Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted. In other words, those Pharisees, those religious people back there, they have nothing to do with my Father. My Father did not plant them. Somebody else did. Leave them alone. Don't try to go and appease their conscience. Don't go and explain everything I said back there. I meant to offend them. Now, this is where it helps to look through the lens of... To look, through, to look at this passage through the lens of a Calvinistic view of predestination. If you don't have a Calvinist, Calvinistic view of predestination, you will not have the handles to be able to handle and process text like this because it doesn't make sense to you because you believe everybody ought to get a chance to be saved because you believe that God's love his salvific love is offered to everybody but is that what Jesus is really implying here think about it Jesus clearly knew those who were appointed onto salvation when he was on the earth just look at the way he talks about people Look at the way he talks to people. It clearly shows that he knew those who were appointed onto salvation, those who were chosen, those who were predestined. Even among his 12 apostles, he knew those whom he had chosen and the one guy he received, but he knew was going to betray him because he had not chosen him. The son of perdition, Judas Iscariot. Doomed to destruction. Jesus knew. He looks at these Pharisees and scribes and he offends them on purpose. And he talks to them and about them in a way that implies that they will be judged. God offends the mind to harden the heart. Look at John chapter 8. Verse 39. Actually, just look at verse 44. This is Jesus talking to another group of Pharisees. Look at what he says. You are of your father, the devil. Whoa, whoa, Jesus. Back there, you said that your father didn't plant them, but now you're identifying their father. You are of your father the devil and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning. He has nothing to do with the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he's a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell you the truth, why do you not believe me? Check it, verse 47. Whoever is of God, hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you're not of God. Do you, do you see the predestining view of election that Jesus is exposing here? Jesus didn't say the reason why you do not hear my words. Uh, uh the reason why you the the reason why you're not of God is because you don't hear my words. That's not what Jesus says. You just catch what I just said. The reason why you are not of God is because you re- reject my words, because you refuse to listen to my words. That's not what Jesus said. Jesus said the reason why you do not listen to my words is because you are not of God. Because you're not ch- chosen. You're not one of God's people. And I see right through to you. And guess what? For you, I offend you. Not to reveal your heart. Not to reveal key revelation. is to harden you for the day of judgment. Calvinism, I'm sorry to say, is a highly offensive doctrine. And most of the body of Christ does not have the heart to process what Calvinism is truly teaching. But if you read the scriptures, you cannot run away from this interpretation. Now, I'm I'm just offending everybody in the room right now. I'm offending people that are Arminian. Obviously, I'm offending people that are new to charismatic movements. Alright? I'm just saying, don't be surprised when God doesn't seem to be knocking at the door of every person's heart. When God doesn't seem to be begging everyone to be saved. Don't be surprised when He comes and He brings His swift judgment across the earth. When He offends the mind to harden the heart. If you did not notice, our God is a God who offends the mind. For various reasons, He offends the mind. He doesn't cater to it. Alright? He's been known to offend it in order to renew it. Or He offends it in order to judge it. Let me tell you, one last thing, I'll close with this. One more thing that is highly offensive. And that's the cross of Jesus Christ. Galatians 5.11 says, the cross is offensive brothers and sisters the most important message in the world the good news of the gospel the saving message of the gospel (coughs) out of all the packages in which God could package this wonderful news of salvation he packages it in the most offensive package possible A, a naked savior bleeding beaten and dying on the cross. Most of the world will reject the message of the cross when you preach it to them. Jesus said, broad is the path that leads to destruction. Many take it. Narrow is the one that leads to life. Very few find it. We go out, we evangelize, we share the good news in the hope that somebody gets saved. But let me just assure you right now that not everybody that hears the cross will thank you for it. If you've ever been to Kazakhstan and you try preaching the gospel to a Muslim, the most common response you get is one of offense. You go to Turkey and you try to talk about the cross, And you get kicked out of the country. You will not be welcomed back into their home for dinner. The cross is a highly offensive message. But the word of God says, God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not to bring to nothing things that are. So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Brothers and sisters. Jesus said, blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. If you want to truly see the true moves of God here on this earth. I have three words for you to memorize. Get over it. Seriously. If you can get over it, you can find find yourself in the middle of amazing moves of God. Raising the dead, seeing the lame walk, seeing demons casted out of people. You will see amazing kingdom power coming through your life if you will learn how to get over it. I'll tell you right now, Higher are his ways than our ways. And sometimes his ways are so much higher that it takes him offending our mind to get us to reject the lies that we've been believing and come in agreement with his truth and his word. Things are not always as they seem. Are you only going to accept the revival of God when it comes to you in neat, predictable, convenient packages? are you willing to embrace and go after it, even when God colors with outside the boundaries of your own experiences? Bill Johnson, I'm close with this quote. He said this, While the Holy Spirit never contradicts His word, He is very comfortable contradicting our understanding of it those who feel safe because of their intellectual grasp of scriptures enjoy a false sense of security. None of us has a full grasp of scripture, but we all have the Holy Spirit. He is our common denominator who will always lead us into truth. But to follow Him, we must be willing to follow Him off the map, to go beyond what we know. And to do successfully, we must recognize His presence above it all. Brothers and sisters, we must learn to be a people of His presence. Amen? Amen. Do you trust in God Himself or do you simply trust in your own mind's understanding of Him? Do you value His presence and power or do you value your dignity? A people who are filled and led by the Spirit will always be able to look past the offense that God brings to the mind in order to go after true moves of God on the earth let's pray father i just thank you so much that your word is living and active and even at times when your word initially offends us when a message that you are highlighting it comes to us in a package that we did not expect when you're trying to reveal key revelation and it offends us god I pray that on that day, our minds will not get hung up on that offense. But rather, we will be able to discern the presence of your spirit. The marks, the sense of your presence upon that revelation, upon that truth. And we'll be able to go after that which you're trying to reveal unto us, God. Blessed is the one who does not fall away on account of me. I pray that Lord Jesus... No matter what offense we experience in our minds or what offense we experience and we have to carry for your sake, whether it's being persecuted or slandered, whatever offense that we got to carry, God, may we never fall away on account of you, Lord. May we always be found faithful to the very end. Give us pure hearts, God. And loose us from the idolatry of our own westernized minds. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.